It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 607 at News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful doing whatever you want to do in your garden. I don't care what you specifically want to do, but if you want to do something, I can help you be more successful, or I can tell you how to get out of doing it. I can give you advice that you would not get anywhere else about dealing with your lawn, your landscape, your trees, your flowers, your pests. If you've got a question about anything about the natural world, give me a call at 404-872-0750. 404-872-0750. Because we are the one-stop super shop, super shop, super stop, <laughs> the one-stop super shop source of gardening information on a Saturday morning. 404-872-0750. If you have a question about what the drought is doing, I had two questions yesterday from different people asking whether or not the drought was the cause of their Leland Cypress and their arborvitae dying. It continues to be an overall phenomenon of large, large, large Leland Cypresses and arborvitae that just all of a sudden turn brown or half brown or looking really peaked in pretty much the north quadrant of the city. And yes, indeed, they are reacting to having been dried up this past fall. Another thing that I'm really, really interested to see is whether the Japanese beetle population this year comes back as heavily as it has been in some years. Now, 30 years ago, you would not believe how many Japanese beetle calls we would get. They would be one after another. People all over the metro Atlanta area, their lawns, their roses, their peach trees would be covered in Japanese beetles. And these Japanese beetles, they live in the soil as a white grub, and that panics people when they dug into the soil, whether they're digging a garden or something. They found these white C-shaped grubs, which they knew were Japanese beetles, and they knew then that there were more that they had not discovered. And, oh, Lord, what should we do now to keep the Japanese beetles out of our fruits and out of our, out of our roses, and how can we control them? But 30 years ago, when we had the huge population of Japanese beetles, over the last 30 years, the numbers have gradually drifted, drifted, drifted down. There have been at least a couple of years where I've seen half a dozen of my roses, and that was it. And I'm thinking that the probable cause for this is natural predators and natural diseases have built up enough that it controls the population somewhat naturally. I know there are some people still who get Japanese beetles in the summertime, but I think that mostly some of us who had them in the years past that the natural processes have built up to control their numbers, which is interesting, very interesting. The same thing, and this is more immediate good news, is the same thing is happening to the kudzu bug. This was about what, six or seven years ago, that I went out to uh, Snellville 
and to speak at the uh, garden center out there, the Family Tree Garden Center. And I went past the garden center and had a little time to take a nap before I had to do my speaking engagement. And I napped right next to a patch of kudzu. And I remember walking over to it and seeing thousands, if not millions, of these little brown kudzu bugs all up and down the stems. And they were a great worry for the peanut and soybean producers in South Georgia because if you have kudzu bugs in your in your crop, they diminish the number of soybeans and the number of peanuts you might have in your in your crop, in your harvest. But over the last four or five years, the numbers of kudzu bugs have declined, declined, declined. Mostly, it seems, they've done some research on why the kudzu bug numbers have declined. One was a wasp that was not introduced here. It's probably native to Japan, where the kudzu bug came from. And that wasp laid its eggs on the immature kudzu bugs and killed them. And there's also a disease that is uh, pretty effective to controlling some of the kudzu bugs where they live. They carry it around on their backs, and when they get weakened during the wintertime, it kills pop- the populations that are hiding in trees or hiding in, underneath the siding on houses and things like that. So there is great diminishment of kudzu bugs as well. Causes yet specifically unknown, but celebration in order for both those bugs. Because neither one of them really made anybody very happy at all. Our number again, 404-872-0750. Our first call this morning goes to Griffin, Georgia, and our friend Nicole. Hey, Nicole. Mr. Reeve. Nicole, where have you been for two weeks? <laughs> I went halfway to Memphis, and my little phone is not a really good quality, so yeah. I said, I'm not bothering. I was too far away anyway. Mm-hmm. I had to fill in for some driver on yeah. Friday night. So off your back, Mr. Reeves. My back is getting better, but we want to talk about you, Nicole, because I had more people than you can imagine ask, where was Nicole? Where was Nicole? We have to know what is going on with Nicole, because you have, as you know, a fan club, a loyal, loyal fan club of listeners of this show who, frankly, get up at 6 o'clock just to hear your voice and then go to sleep at 6.30, knowing that you are alive and well. So don't disappear on us like that. We were worried. Well, I did, I, did, I should have called Ashley, but you know I didn't want to be on the phone because this phone. When people call on the phone, the phone is not good. I said, get on your big time nerves sometimes. <laughs> does, so your back is okay. The uh, what the chiropractor say? Oh, they all say I'm going to fall down and die because I don't have any bones in my body. I don't want to talk about my back. I'm, I'm doing okay. Let's put it that way. I'm not doing great. I'm not doing terrible. I'm doing okay. All right. All, all right. right. Um, I want to talk about small animals. Like what? A little pig, okay? I thought it was so funny. I saw him in the front line. I said, I have to to stop to see, you know, a little black pig. This lady was telling me that he'd been brought up with two big dogs, and after that, he started barking like a dog. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was so funny. But anyway, you see this chicken I was telling you? It was sitting on his eggs for, you told me, 20 yeah. days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I went to see her again, okay? She's still standing there, and I was thinking to myself, maybe she belie- she she forgot what kind, how many days she got to sit there. <laughs> That's three, three uh, uh, theory, okay? It's one, if she forgot, okay, or it's another chicken that took her place, yeah. same place, same yeah. corner, because I don't see those little chickens. I mean, not one of them. After 21 days, there's got to be some chickens or some tragedy, one or the other. If the 21 days is gone, then the chickens should be out, or they should be 
sadly disposed of. Mm. Uh. But anyway, that, another place that I thought early in the morning I went to put a box on somebody, and there were this chicken. She was sleeping underneath the pine straw with all those little bitty around her. Oh, that's said, so sweet. I know. I, thought, I didn't know she was there, so she just got up and just mad at me, you know. But <laughs> what you going to do? you got to love them, isn't it? Indeed you, you do. When you, when you mentioned about the pig just a moment ago that barked like a dog, I discovered a photograph that my mother took back in probably 1954, 5, 6, something like that, of a cow lying on its side in a pasture, and a pig has snuck up beside the cow and was nursing from the cow. Not a calf, but a pig was nursing from the cow as she laid on the ground. And my mother at one time explained that was somebody, a neighbor's pig, who'd gotten into our pasture. And the cow didn't care, and the pig was certainly hungry, and the pig saw an opportunity. <laughs> I don't think a pig could nurse from a cow if the cow is standing up, because usually pigs are nursing their mother, the yeah. sow, when yeah. the sow lays down. Yeah. And so I do believe that little pig snuck in there and thought, look at that. That's, mm, that's going to be some me- milk from me. Uh, no, it's, so. I was living on the farm when I was younger, and uh, this big uh, pig, she took some piglet that was not ours. Uh-oh. And no, she she kept them. I mean, just washed them, and it was not hers because it he went to buy them at the uh, auction, yeah. and it was like five or six. Well, boy, she was really, you know, a motherhood big time. I think that that's one of the things. If you can get a, an animal to adopt other children, for lack of a better word, then that's a good way to dispose of or use the excess milk from dairy farms. And this is one of the things my father was just a master at doing. We had one cow whose name was Becky, who could produce in a day easily a gallon to a gallon and a half of milk. And that's way too much milk for one calf. And so he would go, my father would go to the local um, auction and buy little bitty steer calves, little bitty boy calves that the dairy doesn't want because they don't produce milk. And so he'd bring those boy calves over to our farm and put them on Becky. And as you know, the udder of a cow has four teats hanging down from it. And there would be one, two, three, four little calves nursing on Becky at one time, all stuck with their bottoms out the Four points of the compass, and Becky standing there patiently by the by the fence post where she was tied for a few minutes to let the calves nurse. And then as the calves grew up, then my dad would feed them, and they would get to a certain stage, a certain size, and he would sell them to the uh, to the auction again and make money off of it. So he got the cow to adopt these calves and uh, feed them for a while, and that just made everything work out right. Imagine that. It's because they go by instinct, which we don't have any. I don't know. I mean, we lost a lot of it over the years, isn't it? Maybe so. But some cows won't adopt very easily. Some cows will kick the calves and won't let them in there. They know it's not their calf. They'll kick. Becky just didn't have that, didn't have that instinct to defend herself, and so she would just sit by the by the fence, as I said, with four little calves nursing on her contentedly. Imagine that. Imagine that. I know you still have your mother, so uh, take care of her because... Uh, Tomorrow is Mother's yeah. Day. We got to give her. I gave her a hug and a kiss on Wednesday when I was there, and I'll do yeah, it again yeah. the next time I see her. You don't appreciate it until you lose them. Yeah. Nicole, it's wonderful talking to you again. Glad you're back home. Hope to see you next Saturday again. 
Enjoy your day. Enjoy your day as well. It is 618. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. I lit up from Reno, I was trailed by 20 hounds. Didn't get to sleep that night till the morning came around. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. It's going to go to mid to, well, a little bit higher than 75 this afternoon, but not much higher than that. Chance of rain is pretty good this afternoon. Scattered places around the metro Atlanta area down into the 60s overnight. Right now it's 63.7 degrees at the studios of WSB. Tomorrow, a little bit warmer, 80 degrees tomorrow. And again, down into the 60s overnight. Your full weekend forecast comes within 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Comes first now, Miss Carol from Marietta, Georgia, to join us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Carol, good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. Um, I, I, I have a lot of ants. In my yard, you know, yeah. I see a lot of the mounds, and I don't know if they're fire ants or not, but I got into one last year, and I want to get rid of these things last, sure. <laughs> this year. Will, they, will the fire ant granules that you spread all over the yard, will they harm other insects in the yard? Because I'm going to be near flower beds, and I don't want to hurt my worms. The fire ant baits, if it is a bait, like Amdro is one brand name, the uh-huh. baits only seem to affect fire ants themselves because the the mouth parts and the things that attract fire ants to certain materials are not the same things that attract other ants to them. And so for baits, like I said, Amdro is the one I see most often. If you, yeah. if you spread that on the yard, the little ants, the native ants that are out there, pretty much are not harmed by it much at all. And the fire ants come and eat it and feed it to the queen, kills the mound, and that kills all the fire ants in the yard and leaves the natives alone. On the converse, if you get one of the products that's just an overall fire ant killer, it's an insecticide, and it will kill everything. You're pollinating uh, ground bees. It might kill any butterflies or things that touch the ground. It will kill bad things like roaches and teas and uh, fleas and ticks and things like that as well. So if you're wanting to preserve your native ants, if they don't bother you too much and you only worry about fire ants, use a bait instead of an overall insect killer. Okay. And so if it says bait on the label, I'm okay. But um, I'm not sure of the things out in my garage. But um, is there a particular chemical that I need to stay away from or to look for? Uh, The baits have a anti- uh, it keeps the ants from being able to change their exoskeleton. It's called hydromethylone, I think is the name, on the androbate. And the other ones are, you'll see, let's see, uh, bifenthrin is one overall insecticide, kills everything kind of broad-spectrum insecticide. There's bifenthrin, esfenvalerate, deltamethrin. Those are all broad-spectrum. I think you'll easily, if you read the label on the back, I think you'll easily be able to tell which one is a bait and which one is an overall kills everything. It won't okay. be hard to, hard to distinguish if you read the label. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Good luck with you, Carol. Thank you. Bye. 404-872-0750 gets you in to take Carol's place. In the next half hour, first thing, Jan in Atlanta says she has a lizard. And what are we going to do to get rid of that lizard that she doesn't particularly want in her yard? We're going to deal with that 
pretty quickly right after news. Betty in Atlanta wants to know, is it okay to use milorganite on St. Augustine lawns? I do have some experience with that, and I will be able to tell Betty what to do with that. You can join with your question, 404-872-0750, right after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.36 on a Saturday morning, 63.9 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in whatever you want to do in your landscape. And if you have lizards and you want to get rid of them, I am the place to call. Jan joins us from Atlanta. Hey, Jan. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Mr. Reeves. So tell me about this lizard you have, Jan. It's not just one lizard. It's <laughs> double small lizards. Uh-huh. And uh, when my yard guy, I hate to say when my landscaper... Uh, came to do my yard a couple of weeks ago. I was outside on my on my pat my cement slab yeah. sweeping up what I thought was bird feces, uh-huh. and he said it was lizard feces. Oh. So I he said you need to put a mask on before you start sweeping it up. But I normally don't even take my dog out the back of my house in my screen porch because normally lizards are there or yeah. on the porch. So I go out the garage because I feel. Uh, a little more comfortable because sure. I'm afraid of them. I got it. So I, I really just want to see how can I enjoy my screen porch or my patio slab or just my backyard period without them all over the house, feces-seizing all over my Ooh. patio. Yeah. <laughs> so well, let, let, let me start with, start with the rule that I teach the Master Gardeners Then I have a class each year of Master Gardeners that we talk about how to control nuisance animals, nuisance squirrels, Chipmunks, lizards, mm-hmm. frogs—you name it—we talk about how to how to manage their popu- population. And I say the real thing that any creature wants. There are three things actually that the creature wants, and you know this pretty obviously from yourself, Jan. They want food, they want shelter, and they want some place to find other creatures like themselves, so they can have a little, you know, what, so they can make more of themselves. And okay. so, if you can somehow go to minimize the amount of food which is usually insects. Um, so roly-polies, roaches, flies, beetles, uh, what else would a, would a lizard eat? Just things like that. You know the sort of insect class are big enough for, for a lizard to eat. If you can minimize that population, then the lizards say, well, this is not any fun over here at Jan's house. Let's go somewhere else. It's not any food okay. here. If there is a bunch of mulch on on the ground beside the patio where they can find shelter, where it's a little hiding place where they aren't hit, seen by predators and the sun doesn't beat down on them and bake them to death in the afternoon, but where they find shelter, remove that mulch so it's not moist back there so they uh, don't find any comfort in being underneath the mulch. Move it out or make it so thin that it dries out real quickly. And then as far as finding other lizards, uh, I don't know how you do that particularly, but you, every time you see a lizard, if you take your room and sort of sweep him off the, uh, sweep him off the patio and off the slab there, then those lizards, I hope, will get the idea that Jan does not want them near their house, and they go off, and the other boy lizards go off to f- chase them around, and they're in okay. somebody else's yard. 
So I guess the key is just to remember, what can I do to minimize their food, their shelter, or their ability to find other creatures like them? If you'll do one of those or maybe two of those, the lizards are going to go away. Great. Thank you. I appreciate the uh, advice. Also, one of the, I was telling Desiree, our, our screener this morning, that the, the negative of some of these conditions is uh, a repellent, too. So if they hear something big like a vibration coming along, then you maybe take a broomstick and bang on the floor or take a stick by the patio and bang on the patio. The vibrations of your stick and your body coming forth, if they hear it clearly, they think, this is obviously nothing that I can eat. It's going to eat me. Get out! <laughs> <laughs> so well, the losers... Normally I'm, more, I'm more afraid of them than they are me. <laughs> they don't know that. They don't know that. You don't have to say that out loud. Just say, I'm more afraid of you than me, but I'm going to hit the ground real hard with the heel of my shoe or with a stick, and all the losers will get the, get the message quickly that you are coming to eat them, and they will skedaddle. Okay. All right. What? Thank you. I appreciate it. I listen to you every day. I do, and I appreciate that. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you. Bye-bye. We'll see you soon. We've got Betty on the line. Betty comes to us from Atlanta as well with a question about her Milorganite in St. Augustine Lawn. What have you got, Betty? Well, spots that I'm having trouble with my St. Augustine growing, yeah. uh, I moved some from other places and put it there, and I... I, I don't use milorganite on the whole grass, but just those spots. And uh-huh. is it all right? Because I don't know the um, chemical uh, things of uh, milorganite. It's perfectly fine to use milorganite wherever you want to in the lawn as a overall lawn fertilizer for the whole lawn or for just spots. If you think they need a little bit of pick-me-up, sure, works fine. Oh, well, great, because I really like milorganite since yeah. it doesn't uh, burn doesn't anything. Burn, that's right. Now, let me mention something else. If you have spots that just don't seem to go away, and if they seem to spread a little bit each year, it's possible you have chinch bugs, and chinch bugs attack St. Augustine lawns, and the milorganite will have nothing to do to control them because they're insects after all. So if you haven't done this before, it might be a good strategy, Betty, to one year this year get some lawn insecticide, the stuff that you screw on to the end of your garden hose, for me, works great. I mean, because just put it on the garden hose and spray the areas where I have a, a weak spot in the lawn, and that kills the chinch bugs that are in there. And chinch bugs kill grass. They just insert their little bill into the grass blade and make it turn brown, spots and brown all over it, and then it dies, and it makes a big area almost like you dried it up and never watered it is what it looks like to me. Mm-hmm. But if you have chinch bugs, then that would be something to do is to spray insecticide preventatively somewhere about right now. This would be a good time to do it. Middle of May on through the middle of July would be times to think chinch bugs can attack. All right. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thanks for calling, Betty. Okay. We've got Adam. Adam is in Fayetteville, Georgia. Adam, you are on the air on News Talk WSB. Good morning. Morning, Walter. How are you? I'm doing fine, Adam. How can I help? Oh, I've got a uh, persimmon tree that I dug up and planted a couple years ago. Yeah. And I also got a couple apple trees, pretty small, about the same time. And I did research on how to prune the apple trees and did so. And at the same time, I pruned my persimmon tree, but I did it the same way. Okay. And I'm wondering, since I cut the top out of my persimmon tree, if I've stunted its growth, if it's not supposed to be pruned the same way as apple trees because it seems to be growing out now huh. now instead of up 
How tall are these trees, Adam? The persimmon tree is only about two feet tall. Oh, so it's two a little bitty. Two and a half. Okay. I was thinking you six feet or seven feet or something like oh, that. Oh, no, it's a it's a baby. Okay. It's tiny. Um, and so you, when you planted it, you cut the top of it out. And the reason, again, go over that again for me. Well, I was just doing research on how to prune apple trees, okay. and I, was, uh, I saw that you were supposed to cut the top out of the apple trees along with the sides and, and this and that, and I just went ahead and did the same thing with the persimmon. I don't think you've done any damage to it particularly. I think that the same pruning method that works with an apple to have a straight leader and whirls of branches as it goes up the trunk would work fine for a persimmon to have maximum production from the persimmon. Was it an American persimmon or an Asian persimmon? I honestly don't know. I dug it up uh, from underneath uh, some very large persimmon trees yeah. uh, where uh, they were just growing out of the ground. Do you know how big the fruit to... was from those trees? Um, quarter size. That would be American. Uh, so okay. American persimmons, uh, I think, are much more likely even than the Asian persimmons to benefit from the apple-type pruning. Asian persimmons tend to be sort of outward facing the limbs spread outward, and they might do better with a, a peach pruning, as we say, where you open up the center, whereas with apples, and now I think with these <clears throat> American persimmons, it's better to have a straight trunk that has whirls of branches going up and down the trunk. So okay. I think you did fine, and even though you cut the top out of it, what will happen there is you'll have some limbs that will sprout out at that level, and one of them will turn to the sky and grow up another three or four feet, at which point you pinch it out, and then that will make a whirl of limbs there. Over the years, okay. you'll have several whirls of branches that go up to about 15 to 20 feet, maybe. Okay, good deal. Uh, do you have time for one more question? Sure, what you got? Um, I just planted a whole bunch of caladium bulbs, uh -huh. and I was told that they were annuals. That's but, true. Um, well, I was wondering in this zone if there is a chance of them coming back next year or if there's anything that I can do to help them to come back next year. Uh, not if you leave them outdoors in this zone. They're not going to be winter hardy in this zone. When okay. you said annuals, I was just about to say, well, they're annuals here in Atlanta, but they're not annuals down in uh, Miami. Right. They grow them all the right. time outdoors and leave them outdoors for the wintertime. You can... Okay. Theoretically, dig them up and save them in fall and save them in the house during the wintertime and then plant them in the spring. Uh, I've got about 45 Boy, of them planted, so I, will I don't tell know if I'll be doing that. That is rarely successful. For whatever reason, we <laughs> are not able to store them properly. It's not warm enough. It's not humid enough. It's something not enough because I've tried it three or four times and never did I get anything worth saving, worth all the trouble of digging and drying and sorting yeah, and checking. Uh, okay. Buy the bulbs each fall, each uh, spring and plant those and be done with it, and that's the way to do it, Adam. That sounds great. I appreciate it, man. Have you been to see uh, Mr. Huey uh, Lester Bray's gardens over there in Fayetteville near New Hope Church? Uh, no, sir. Are you interested in really, really productive gardening, Adam? I am. Well, in that case, I have got a free opportunity for you. What's that? Well, Lester Bray is a master gardener there in Fayette County, and he and the other master gardeners have a big garden, about an acre, I think, where they plant vegetables and they harvest them, and they donate all the food to the local food bank and to women's shelters and places that need fresh vegetables. And they have an amazing and enormous harvest there using a technique called plasticulture. And Mr. Lester Bray, your neighbor, is an expert on plasticulture, and he has written really? a booklet 
that if you go to Google, I can't remember the, exactly the name, something like Plasticulture Gardening or something.com, but if you go to okay. Google and say Lester Bray Plasticulture, you'll come to his website where he has his booklet. It is astounding, the a number of uh, tips and techniques that he has in there to increase um, vegetable growing, harvesting, and things like that. It tells exactly how to do it and how they use plastic to cover the ground, to keep the weeds down, to keep the soil warm. They water, they fertilize underneath the plastic with little micro tapes, and it's an unbelievable harvest every year, and they simply donate the food to feed the people in Fayette County who need it, which I think is a great thing. Okay, and this is a type of class you can go to and, and see how it's done, or is it just an online? I think uh, they do classes sometimes, but you can also just visit Mr. Bray's website, Plasticulture Gardening, I think is the okay. name of it, or something close to that, and get a booklet, just download it and read it. That's what I did, and I was really impressed. Okay. All right, well, I'll do that. Well, thank right. you very much. You bet, Adam. Thanks for calling. Yes, sir. It's 648. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today in the well, low mid-70s, I guess it's going to be today, chance of thunder showers throughout the day, of course. And right now it's 63.6 degrees as it cools off a little bit now. Same temperature overnight. Tomorrow warmer. Tomorrow in the 80s. It's going to be a really pretty day tomorrow for Mother's Day. Take your mother out to do something nice for her. Pick some flowers out of your garden. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. David joins us with a question that I am in the wheelhouse on. Hey, David, good morning. Good morning. Getting ready for tougher days, street fair tonight. Tougher days is tonight. Good deal, David. What's the question? Yeah. Um, is there a really a practical difference between uh, chicken manure and cow manure in the garden? Fresh or bagged? Bagged. No. Fresh, Yes. Do you want to know the difference, David? I'm primed to give you an answer. I'm primed to give sure. you the reason why. Well, I already know that uh, the smell of the chicken manure permeates a perfectly sealed bag. <laughs> Do you know why? Uh, no, but I am willing to learn. I'm willing to learn. Yes, grasshopper, you will, you will learn right now. Chickens, when they uh, eliminate waste products from their body, the waste products, whether liquid or or solid come out of one place, one opening in the rear end is where both liquid and solid waste products come out. As a result, it has a lot more urine and urine type products in there, and so it's going to have it's going to convert into ammonia, which gives it the smell that makes everybody's nose crinkle up and the eyebrows you know go round and around because the ammonia in chicken manure. This is more nitrogenous product, shall we say. And as a result, you can get more nutrition for plants out of chicken manure. Whereas, on the other hand, uh, horse manure or cow manure, either one, in many barns and where the manure is collected, the liquid stuff has been separated from the solid stuff, and so it's not packaged together. And so the solid manure doesn't have nearly as much nitrogen in it and not nearly as much chance to make ammonia, and so it just doesn't, doesn't stink quite as bad. 
and also has probably, if it was fresh, has a little less nutrition to it than the chicken manure would. Is there enough nitrogen difference so that uh, I was a little concerned that chicken manure might kind of tend toward the uh, greenery versus the vegetables themselves or flowers themselves? Usually the bagged products are going to have a, if they're sold as a fertilizer, they'll have the little label that says how much nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium it has. So the chicken manure that I see is usually only about 3, maybe 4%, four percent, four zero one or something like that, and horse manure and chicken manure is comparable to that. Both of them, I think the chicken manure has probably been composted for a while to get most of the ammonia and nitrogen out of it. But I think they're comparable as far as ultimate nutritional content. Okay, thank you, sir. David, it's my great pleasure to talk to you. Y'all have fun in Tucker today. Okay, bye-bye. We'll see you, man. It's 6.58 at News Talk WSB. Questions about roses and rose leaves that have holes in them. I know what causes rose leaves to have holes in them. I sure do. I saw some yesterday. We'll deal with that right after news. Yeah.